welcome to the At Ramsey Heights podcast, your source for all of our audio messages at Ramsey Heights Baptist Church in Batesville, Arkansas. This is Pastor Brian Coates, and I hope this encouragement from God's Word connects with you and helps guide you through your next steps on your journey with God. Enjoy today's message. John chapter 19 today, if you don't care to turn there. So Thanksgiving was this last week. You guys don't act like you knew that. Thanksgiving was this last week, is that right? It was. Did you guys all get plenty to eat? We have a lot to be thankful for. And one of the things I love about being Americans and I love about us is we take a day every year and we mark it with a meal and we take time to just realize I need to be thankful. That There are things that I have been blessed with that I don't deserve. And I thank God for that. Or you and I thank God. Some people may go around the world not thanking God. They may think, I don't know what they're thankful to, but they may not be thankful to God. But we take this day to celebrate all of the things that we have been blessed with. But I want us to always remember is that that Thanksgiving is a day that we don't celebrate the things that we have. We celebrate the one who gave it to us. And once again, like I said earlier, we get to come to church and do that here every Sunday. But we have that one day of the year that we set aside and we eat turkey and we watch football and we take a nap, which is what all of our favorite things Thanksgiving activities are, right? But that all ends on 6 o'clock Thursday, because I know you guys well enough to know that some of you, when it comes to 6 o'clock Thursday, Thanksgiving Day, you turn Thanksgiving off and you go straight to what? Christmas, right? So let's let's just take a poll. Let's see where we're at on Christmas here. Raise your hand if you went Black Friday shopping. Oh, I knew I had a smart church. I knew. Nobody went. Those people are crazy, okay? Raise your hand if you have your Christmas decorations up, at least some of them. Most of you. We do, too. We've got our hands up over here. We've got our lights decorated in the house. Raise your hand if you have already listened to Christmas music, even though it's not December. Sinners. <laughs> no, it is awesome. We are going into Christmas season, and I know we're all really, really excited about it. And know some of you guys came to here. You're like, okay, the Christmas tree is up. The Christmas lights are on. It is time for the Christmas series next week. We are going to be finishing our Shine in the Suffering series today, but for those of you who must have your Christmas fix, this week our series Shine in the Suffering intersects with the Christmas story, and it goes back to a young virgin named Mary at 14 years old. And you guys know the story as well as I do. An angel appears to her and tells her, "Um, you're going to have a child, and this is not just going to be any child. This is going to be a very special child. He will be called Son of the Most High. And Mary asked him, how will that be? I am a virgin. That's There's no way that I can have a child right now. And he says, the Holy Spirit will overshadow you. And you have this amazing experience. And Mary was chosen for a task that was bigger than her. Mary literally could call herself the mother of God. And I don't want that to be something that we take as like a a huge title for her. But she was quite literally the physical mother of Jesus Christ, who we know as God. She had this amazing task set out before her. And the angel even said to her, blessed are you among women. All that means is, you see all these ladies out here? God loves them all. But God has given you a very special task. You are very, very blessed. You are chosen for something. And, And then that brings us to the imagery of the nativity, right? Where, where they're in a stable and everybody knows that it wasn't hot and it also wasn't cold. And we all know that it was peaceful and that the donkey come over there and nuzzled sweet baby Jesus in the manger. Like that's the imagery we have with this, a, a cool, clear night with one star shining bright up in the thing. And that's when we think of Christmas, that's what we think of. We think of this peaceful night and we sing songs about them. 
But what I want to do is I want to follow the Christmas story on a little bit farther because all of a sudden, if you follow that Christmas story in Luke chapter 2, we're not going to read it. I'm just going to tell you about it. But the story changes suddenly. And we're introduced to a character in the Bible named Simeon. And all the Bible tells us is that Simeon was righteous and devout. This man was somebody that had found favor in God's eyes. He gave his life to serving God. And God had made him a promise. God had promised him, you will not die until you lay eyes on the Savior of the world, until you see the Messiah. And the Holy Spirit comes upon Simeon and tells him, you need to go to the temple because this Messiah has been born and he's fixing to be there. And Simeon goes to the, te- to the uh, temple and he sees Mary and Joseph and he knows that baby they're holding, that is the Messiah, this Jesus that has been promised forever. And he sees him and he walks up to Mary and Joseph, a complete stranger, and he takes their baby away from them and he holds Jesus and he gives like this almost like prophecy about what's going on and he praises God and he says God you kept your promises you always keep your promises and then he says this really weird thing he says and now I can leave this life you can take me now let's just take a second to pause on that because I think sometimes the Bible is comical like you got a new couple who just had a baby in a barn they're going to Jerusalem to the temple and this man walks up to them that they've never seen never met before grabs the baby out of their arms and starts talking to God about I've seen the child now I can die like that strikes me as just a little bit funny but Simeon gives this huge speech about Jesus and then he hands the baby back to Mary and he lists all the things that that, that this baby will do that this is the salvation of Israel and then he looks at Mary and says these ominous words that don't fit in our Christmas story they don't seem to go with the peaceful manger scene and and the bright star and the wise men and the shepherds He, he says these words as he hands the baby back to the baby's mother it says because of this child a sword shall pierce through your own soul Enjoy your day. Have a, have a great trip. What, what, what happens to this? You have to think Mary was taken off guard. She's been through a whirlwind, a, a whirlwind of stuff for like, what, 10 months now? An angel shows up, says you're going to be pregnant. She says, I'm not married. I'm a virgin. And then she ends up pregnant. And then she has this baby in a barn of all places. She sees all of these things. And then this crazy guy comes and grabs the baby and says, this is the salvation of Israel. And he looks at Mary dead in the eyes and says, because of this baby, you're going to hurt. Now, let's break down what he says, because what does it mean to be stabbed with a sword or pierced with a sword through the soul? See, a sword rips and slashes, and it leaves bloody and painful wounds, but you can't leave a bloody and painful wound on a soul. A soul is a spiritual thing. You can't attack it with physical weapons. So what he's saying to her is is your innermost being, your innermost person, having this child and being the mother of this child is going to rip your heart out. And he prophesies, he prophesies how Mary is going to feel in the future. And we contrast that to the regular Christmas story where we think, oh, Mary, you know, held her cute little baby and everything was perfect. And yet there's this, this ominous warning of what it's going to be like. And you follow the story on past this. And you would think that maybe that was forgotten. Jesus grows up at at 12 years old. He goes to the temple and he's teaching the teachers. They're listening to a 12-year-old. At about age 30, he starts his earthly ministry. He begins walking around, teaching. He calls disciples to himself, these these 12 followers who will be, um, who he sends out to start the church across the world. And, and And then at 33, roughly around in there, Jesus found himself sentenced to death for doing nothing more than loving people and healing them and teaching them about the love of God. And that's where our story picks up in John chapter 19. 
If you got your Bibles open, this will be verses 25 through 27. Jesus has been sentenced to the death. He has been um, nailed to the cross, and we're in the middle of the crucifixion. 25. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother, and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Cleopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, that's John, by the way, that's how John speaks of himself. So when Jesus therefore saw his mother and John standing by, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. And then he saith unto the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour the disciple took her upon his own home. So 33 years later, 33 years after the nativity, 33 years after Simeon gives Mary this ominous warning, we're, we're at the scene at the foot of the cross. And this just amazes me about the story of Mary, a woman who was blessed by God, a woman who was chosen for great things. Mary, Mary sits at the foot of the cross and she looks up and she sees her baby, the baby that she had brought into this world in a barn, beaten, naked, tortured, cast out, suffocating, and dying. And now it makes sense what Simeon said to her. A sword will pierce your own soul. Can you imagine that agony Mary was in at this moment? Listen, when you read the Bible, we tend to read the Bible like it's a Hallmark movie, like it's made up, like it's not real. These are real people. And if you can put yourself in that situation, whatever you would be feeling is what Mary felt. Mary sits at the cross and she looks up and she sees Jesus hanging there. I'll, I'll go ahead and say this. This is not biblical. This is an opinion. But I think that maybe what Mary is going through at this moment is one of the worst things recorded in the Bible with the exception of Jesus' actual suffering on the cross. She, she looks up and she sees everything that's going on and she deals with it. And you have to think, if you're Mary, you're sitting here going, this is not what I signed up for when an angel came to me. I didn't sign up for a bloody crucifixion. I signed up for a peaceful nativity. I signed up for a perfect child who never backtalked, but I didn't sign up for a bloody crucifixion. And then those words that I think of when I think of Mary must have rang in her head. Blessed are you among women. Is that some kind of a cruel joke? Cruel joke? This isn't something that feels like she's being blessed here. And I'm going to be honest with you. I think many Christians have moments like Mary. Maybe we never watch, and hopefully we never watch our children die in front of us. But many Christians have these moments where God is doing something. Because if you know the story of the crucifixion, you know the story works out for the good of everybody in this room. You know God is doing something amazing in the death of Jesus. But if you look at, at Mary, you have to think, she probably didn't care at that moment. And, and a lot of Christians, when God is working, will, will look down and say, God may be working, but this, this doesn't feel good right now. Sometimes we look at what God's doing and say, this doesn't feel like God is good in what he's doing. And sometimes we say, this doesn't feel like a blessing. But there's a key word that we need to address when we deal with suffering and hurt. The key word in all of that was feel. What, what do I feel? The Bible tells us about our heart and the feeling that our heart will give us. And what it says about our heart is it doesn't say it's an amazing thing. It says our heart is deceitful above all things. What that means is, is that your heart will lie to you. The feelings that you feel will make you ask questions that you shouldn't ask. It will make you feel abandoned and alone when in fact that is not the case. Our first take-home truth is this, is that in times of suffering, your heart and your feelings will lie to you. 
And there's these lies that, that pour out of our hearts sometimes. Lies like, God doesn't really love you. If he loved you, he wouldn't have let this happen to you. It, our heart might tell us, well, God isn't really good. Something in us says, you deserve better than what you're going for. And if God was good, he knows that and he wouldn't have let this happen to you. And I won't accuse you of anything, but I'll tell you, that's what my heart tells me. My heart will lie to me and say those things as God's not listening to you or God's not watching you or God is mad at you or God doesn't love you. Our heart will tell us, but to confront lies, you always confront lies with truth. Uh, many of you have had kids and, and we know kids are notorious for telling lies, right? Like they're not going to admit to anything. They're like little miniature, I don't know, they get away with everything. I probably shouldn't say what I was about to say. But they, they, they get away with everything and you can come in there and be like, um, did you clean your room? Yes, I cleaned my room. And like kids are smart, but they're not smart enough to know that's an easy, easy lie to disprove. And so you take that child and you take them to the room and you open up the door and it looks like there's been an earthquake in the room, right? And you're like, did you clean the room? And they're like, a little bit, you know, right? Like kids will tell lies. And the way that you confront a lie is you confront it with truth. And so when our heart lies to us in times of suffering and hardship, when our, lie, when our heart tells us that God isn't good, we confront those lies with truth. We confront those lies with the truth that God is good and that he promises to always be with us. And we see that in this story, in the story of Mary. We see the goodness of God and God's presence with Mary at the cross. If you read that story, if you go back to that scripture, what you see is Mary is suffering, watching her son die. And Jesus comforts her by saying, John, you're going to take care of my mother. Now, let's just pull back for a second. Jesus comforts Mary. That doesn't sound right. J Jesus is hanging on the cross, and crucifixion is one of the most horrible things humans have ever come up with. He is beaten and bloody. He is in pain. He is literally suffocating. It would have hurt to breathe, much less talk. And yet Jesus takes time to comfort Mary in that moment. If ever there was a time for Jesus to be selfish, that was it. If ever there was a time for Jesus to be like, yeah, I don't have time for other people's problems. I've kind of got my own up here. This was the moment because that's, that's what I would do. And that's what you guys would do, right? If you were Jesus, you wouldn't be sitting up there worrying about other people. You'd be worried about me. Uh, last weekend, Jessica and I were both sick, not like bad sick, just didn't feel good and stuff. And, and she was sick first and went to the doctor and then I kind of come down with it. And, and in my mind, there was like this sense of like, I don't feel good. I've got a headache. I'm coughing. I'm sneezing and all the things that go along with a sinus infection. In the back of my head, I would never say this, but in the back of my head, I'm like, you're going to have to pick up some slack because in our house, life doesn't end when people are sick. We have a toddler, like life goes on. So in the back of my head, like I'm like feeling sorry for myself. It's like, yeah, I probably should get up and change that diaper, but I'm sick, so I'll lay on the couch and let Jessica take care of it. Yeah, I, I should probably get up and, and help cook, but you know what? I'm sick, so I'm going to let Jessica cook today, and that's kind of natural. And we went to bed one night, and I said something to her, and I think she'd finally had enough of me feeling sorry for myself, and she said, uh, Brian, are you forgetting that I'm the one that's sick? Because we both were. See, it's natural for us to focus on what's wrong with us instead of focus on others, but not Jesus. Not Jesus. Jesus is in the agony of death, and he's still putting others first. It would have hurt him to say anything to Mary, but he takes time. He pulls himself up on the cross so he can get a breath, and he says to Mary and John, you two are to be together from this point on. And it confronts the lies that I'm sure Mary told herself. What would you be feeling if you were there? I'd be feeling abandoned. 
Like I'd be like, God chose me. He told me it was going to be great. Blessed am I among women. And, and now I'm here watching my son die. I would have felt abandoned. But what Jesus does, Jesus does with love flowing out of him is he says, I'm going to take that lie of abandonment and show you that you're not abandoned. I'm going to find a way to comfort you. And so he looks over to John, who was the only disciple there, and he assigns John and Mary new relationships. He looks at Mary down from the cross. He said, actually, he said woman. He didn't say mother. Most people believe that's because saying mother from the cross would have just ripped her heart out more. He said, woman, I said, look at that guy. That's your new son. That, that, that's, that's your son, you stick to him. And then he looked at John, one of his best friends and one of his most trusted disciples. He said, John, this is your mother. Now what we need to understand about that is to understand at this time in the Bible, or at this time in the world, in biblical times, women had no social standing. There was no owning property, there was no nothing. And so Mary, with the loss of a son, would have had nobody to take care of her. Joseph had already passed away. Mary did have other children. In fact, she had other male children. But chances are that they had abandoned her because of her faith in following in Jesus, her other son. I suspect that there's some hints in the gospel that probably his brothers would have been happy he was being crucified. And so they're not going to be able to take care of Mary. And Mary's looking at this going, not only am I suffering this agony, I'm going to be alone. I'm going to have nothing. But Jesus looks down and he gives her this comfort and this security. He says, I assign the responsibility of a son to take care of a mother. I assign that to John, to my best friend. And what's amazing about this to me is this wasn't a whim. Jesus never did anything on a whim. Jesus who knew everything about the world. Jesus who could see past, present, and future. He knew what he was going to do before he did it. He knew what was going to happen before it happened. And what that tells me is that there was a time when John was walking along the Sea of Galilee. And he looked out and he saw John. And he goes, that's the one. When I'm gone, John's going to take care of my mother. And he would have cultivated that throughout the years, not only discipling John to be a follower of him, but knowing every time that he saw him, this is the one who I will assign to be the son of my mother and my mother to be the mom of the son. Jesus knew this and it was planned from the beginning of the world and that, that goes against the lie that he was abandoning Mary or that Mary was abandoned. It was planned long before this. If you remember last week, we looked at, at Jesus' view of death, and he saw death as somewhat trivial, because Jesus knows, and as we probably all know, that death is to a degree temporary. And if you know this story, yes, this is a bad moment in the story, but it's only going to be three days, and the story's going to get a lot better. Jesus knows the temporary nature of what Mary's going through, but he still takes time to be emotionally present, to provide for her needs. He could have waited till after he was resurrected and sat down with John and said, hey, um, I'm going to ascend up into heaven after 40 days and you need to take care of my mom from now on. He could have done that. But in the moment when Mary needed the comfort, he assigns that comfort and security to her. Our next take-home truth is this, is no matter what we feel, God cares about and comforts our hurt. And sometimes our feelings that tell us those lies, sometimes our feelings say, God doesn't care about you. But there's biblical promises and there's biblical truth that shows us that God does care. Even though he may not take it away from us in that moment, his heart is open for you and he does care about what you're going through. Let's continue to follow the story, Jesus on the cross. Verse 28. 
After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it on hyssop and put it to his mouth. And Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar and said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up the ghost. So as we look at the story of of Jesus Christ, one of the last things he does, one of his last dying breaths, is he looks down at somebody who's suffering, who's in agony, and he takes care of them. And after that, so that he can be heard, he asks for. He asks for the bitter wine or or the, the vinegar, as it's called here, and he drinks that. And with a loud voice, he declares, it is finished. All of the work is done. Every every sin that has ever been committed has been paid for. God's full wrath put on Jesus Christ. It is over. And he bows his head and he dies in that moment. They very quickly pull his body off the cross and and they bury it because they didn't want it up there the next day through the Sabbath. And as as Jesus is, is buried, you have to think about what Mary was going through. Many of us have attended funerals of people that we love and those, those days after or leading up to, they're not good days. You had to think Mary. Mary was escorted, probably escorted by John back to wherever she was staying and, and there was a moment where she was alone and all she could feel was, was emptiness. Mary had underwent a huge trauma. When, when the human brain undergoes trauma, it, it puts itself in like this constant fight or flight mode where it's always ready to fight because it's had a scarring experience. And so Mary would have constantly been scared after watching the brutal way that her son was, was uh, murdered. I think Mary had nightmares. Mary would, have, Mary would have woke up in the middle of the night screaming after nightmaring and reliving the events of the previous day of watching her son be crucified. Mary was in a really, really dark time and dark place. And once again, those words ring that the angel said to her, blessed are you among women. It's like, God, I don't feel blessed right now. This isn't fair that you called me for this. You picked me to raise a Messiah so he could just die on a cross without accomplishing anything worldly. And you see that darkness of suffering and like Mary, many of us go through that at times when, when we feel like this isn't fair and we feel like we're crying out to God and we still have dealt with this emptiness and this hurt and this suffering and it doesn't seem like he's answering us and we ask ourselves, how long? It seems like sometimes these things will never end and I'm, I'm sure that Mary felt that way, like she would never be the same, like, like she would never be happy again. But what the story reveals, if you continue through the story, is that God is not a liar. And that our temporary circumstances don't change his promises. Because when he told Mary she was chosen, it was true. And when Mary was told by an angel that she was blessed among women, that was true. Yes, Mary saw the death of Jesus Christ. But Mary is the only person, one person in the history of the world that was there for every major event and God's plan to redeem the world. Mary was, well, very obviously, Mary was there at the birth. Mary was there at the death. But if you keep reading the story, Mary was there, and she was one of the first people to know about the resurrection. See, three days later, she drags herself out of bed, and and she prepares herself for this unfinished task of, of preparing the body for burial. 
because of the timing of Jesus' death, they most likely threw the body in a grave and got it in the ground as quickly as possible. And, and three days later, Mary walks with other women to the, to the tomb, carrying spices that should have been put on the body days before. Imagine the agony of that, thinking I didn't even get to bury my child the way I wanted to. And their plan is to walk up to these guards who are guarding the tomb and beg them, please roll the stone away so we can prepare the body as is our custom. I think Mary probably didn't do a whole lot of laughing on the way there, did she? Kind of walking in silence, carrying these bowls of spices and things to take care of the body of her, of her son who she'd watched murdered. But when she gets there, what she sees is that there are no guards and, and that the stone that keeps the tomb closed had been rolled away. And somebody looks in the tomb and says, he's not here. And suddenly that darkness turns to light. That darkness of everything she went through starts to change. And I'm sure without a doubt, Mary and the other disciples, they would have known what Jesus said. So this is only temporary. This is only for a time period. And Mary starts thinking differently and seeing things differently. Mary is the only person that got to experience this. She got to experience the very, very low, low of watching her son die, but she got to experience the very high, high of being one of the first people to witness the empty tomb and know my son's not dead anymore. And as we've been in this series, and this is our last Sunday, I've wanted us to have one takeaway in understanding about the hurt and the suffering that we feel. I know this is not the funnest series that we've ever done, but what I want it engraved on our hearts is when we deal with hardship, it is only temporary. That, that just like Mary, one day darkness will turn to light. And if you're struggling with something today, that struggle is not a permanent struggle. It's kind of like in Arkansas, we have, we have seasons, don't we? Like we go through spring and then we go through summer and then we go through fall and we go through winter every year. And everybody in here has their favorite season. Is that correct? What's your favorite season? Yell it out. Winter? Summer, spring. I've heard them all. I've heard them all. So, so we all have our favorite, but do we all have our least favorite as well? Probably the polar opposite of whatever our favorite is. You know what my least favorite season is? Is winter. I hate winter. It gets dark. It gets cold. I can't move around. I can't get outside. And January and February are the worst months of the year. Starting in about September, I start worrying about it. Oh, no. Winter's coming. And I don't know what the correct term for it is, but in Arkansas, we just call it getting down. I get down for like three months. I just don't have any energy, and I don't feel good. I don't really want to be around people. It seems like it's a struggle to wake up every morning all through winter. I hate, I hate winter. I, I hate it every year. After Christmas, you guys will see me. I'll kind of be walking around in a daze once we get past the holidays and I can celebrate Christmas. I hate it. But you know what? Every year of my life, winter has been temporary. It's a time period, and it flows into our life, and it flows back out, and then it is followed by spring. And you know what I think about spring? I think spring is just that much better because it comes after the hard season, or what I consider the hard season. And as, as, as Christians, a lot of times we will talk about the seasons of our life, and we're all going to go through emotional and spiritual winters where there's a time of suffering and hurting when it seems dark, when we just don't have any, any energy, when we don't know how to cope. But a spiritual winter will be followed by a spiritual spring. Whatever season of your life that you are in or you may go into will eventually fade away. It is temporary. Hurt will fade. Suffering will change. This is our last take-home truth, and this is an amazing truth about our God. I love it. It says, our God turns bad into good 
suffering into joy and darkness into light. When I started this series, I named it Shine in the Suffering because it sounded good, right? I was like, we're going to study suffering and we're going to learn about how to be good Christians and how to shine in the suffering for all the suffering to not affect us and we're just, we're just going to be great at it. And, and I was so wrong in that. I don't know if I was wrong about the name, but I was wrong about the way I was going about the name. See, it's not us who shines in the suffering. It's the goodness of our God that will shine through our suffering. And you see that with Mary and you see that with the crucifixion, one of the darkest moments in the world. Mary suffering, looking up at her son, Jesus Christ suffering on a cross, the darkest day in the history of humankind. But that suffering that Jesus went through, God had a plan for it. It was only temporary. And at the end of that suffering, what Jesus purchased for us on the cross was the ability for us to escape all permanent suffering, to put things the back the way it used to be. See, if we are in God, no matter what we go through in life, everything that we experience, good or bad, everything is temporary. The hurt you feel now, it may never fade in your life, but one day you're going to walk into heaven and Jesus Christ is going to be there and you're going to behold his holiness. And I don't know what we're going to do. I don't know if I'm going to dance. I don't know if I'm going to sing. I hope not. I'll run people out of heaven and that would be bad. I don't know what it'll be like when we get to heaven, but I know we'll see Jesus and there will never be a recollection of the bad things ever again. I will never worry about why I've got an ankle that hurts when something moves in. I'll never think about how bad it hurt when something or somebody, or I'm sorry, when I lost somebody I loved. Never again will I think about that your suffering is temporary in this world. But that's, that's if you know Jesus. And there's also a, a warning in that. Because there's two paths. There's only two paths. People say there's a lot of paths. But there's only two paths that you can take. One of them is, is you can give your life to Christ and you get to share in his glory forever. You get to shine with him, not as him. You get to shine with him. I get to be beside him. But the opposite is sometimes we choose and we say, I don't want Jesus Christ to be my God. I want, I want the world to be my God. And I want the fun things and the sin to be a part of my life. And people walk around this and they say, I don't want God because I must give up the world. Let me tell you about the world. The world comes with sin. And everything you have ever suffered, every time you have ever hurt yourself, every time you have ever lost somebody, every time you've ever had a down day, every time winter got you down when you woke up in the morning, all of those things are results of the sin that is in this world. And if you choose the world in this world, Brother Danny, if you want to come up here, if you choose the world in this world, you will choose the sin and you will choose the suffering that goes along with it. And your eternity will be the same. That that sin leads to eternal suffering. But for us who are in Christ, we don't have to worry about that. And so my question for us is today is when we look at the world and we look at the hardship, do we walk into the world with this hope that this is only temporary? Because one day, no matter what happens to me, no matter what I deal with, one day I will be in the presence of Jesus and he's going to welcome me into heaven. And he's going to look at God the Father and say, this one's mine. I, I paid for his sins, let him in. Or do we walk into heaven and we see a just and righteous God who said, you lived your life apart from me. You chose not to follow me. Depart from me forever. We continue to live in the suffering forever. What I want for everybody in this room is to have that hope and assurance that we walk into heaven to that first scenario. I have that. I'm going. I hope you're going with me. But if you don't have that, today is the day. Today is the day ask God, God, can I be your follower? 
Can I have that assurance?